The St. Paul riot and subsequent internal squabble opened a space into which insurrection swaggered like an outlaw into a frontier saloon, eyes tight with malice. The conventions were a moment of self-organization in which antagonism played an important role as unity. Without the infighting, the subsequent thrill of success abroad and the self-recognition in the flames of Athens would not have proliferated as it did. This fact should not discourage us from asking whether the right antagonisms were invented or the right lines drawn. This needs some excavation for people, I think. Like, um, right after the, um, the, the financial crisis, you have like a series of, um, of events that happen. You have, uh, very important for me at the time, was Republic Windows and Doors. Do you remember that? So Republic Windows and Doors was like a small like homewares, hardware factory, I think in the Midwest somewhere. And uh, with the great financial crisis, uh, the capitalists there like basically closed the doors on these union workers who had, uh, you know, decent jobs there. And so the workers occupied the factory. They took it over uh, asking for their jobs back and if not that severance. So that was like a big sort of, like leading light moment for us. But then uh, what's his face? Alexei got murdered in, uh, in Greece by the cops, right? It was in 2009. In, it was uh, in uh, December 2008, wasn't it? Okay. You would know better than me. So like we're, we're starting to see at this moment in time because for me personally, and I think for you and for like the milieu that we were in, which included some of these people, there was like this ricochet effect where the, the financial crisis opens up this sort of like new realm of crisis politics. And we start to see things popping from like uh, the Midwest in the United States and then over to Greece with these great riots that break out. And then soon after that with the Arab spring where you start to see sort of popular insurrections and uprisings happening. And then you have the Greek financial crisis. So like we were very attuned at this point in time to the ramifications of this particular crisis. Yeah, and I think they're saying, like, well, there are these different parties. There's Nader, but our party is the Greece insurrection, rioting in St. Paul. And, like, you know, our position about the DNC, the RNC, is not the point. The point is, like, it's it's time to fight. Right. Um, let's jump to 34. Okay. Um, Barack Obama does not exist. <laughs> Did not okay, exist. Page Baudrillard. Will not exist. The magic of his campaign was precisely its emptiness. Hope and change could signify literally anything, a fact not lost on his fervid supporters. This was the flaw in leftist plans to capitalize on their subsequent disillusionment. Mm. Conversely, anything hopeful or changeful took on automatically a uniform meaning Obama, a vague, ineffable feeling, something about common purpose, something about progress, maybe even a titillating little something about power. Obama promised everything. The economy would buckle up. The atmosphere would reverse its deterioration, and obviously the residual bigotry of the backward masses would dry up under his beaming light. To believe was not naivete, but a shrewd reinvention of possibility in an already impossible world. See, 100% on this, like this milieu, and I think like swaths of the left in general kind of could see through Obama from the beginning. Certainly if you read like contemporaneous accounts from like Adolf Reed, mm -hmm. you know, they're they're singling this guy out as like, like a piece of puffery, basically. Right. And Finkelstein's take on this is pretty good too. About like people, people liked him because he was black, but they missed the fact that he was white. Like he was, he was a black 
man for white people. Right. Yeah, yeah, Not yeah. that he wasn't very popular with black people, but yeah. the point was to appeal to the white voters. Yes. Um, the body of Barack Obama is or was the multitude. Oh, there's another fucking callback to uh, Empire. Empire. Hart Negri. A network of singularity is constituted by the relations of immaterial production. What does that mean? As I remember it, um, singularities is like the individuated, like atomized worker consumer. Yeah, yeah, the basic identity of, you know, I'm a skateboarder or I'm a construction worker or, you know, I'm a furry. Or, Or, uh, and and in addition to that, I'm like an isolated, unorganized wage Mm -hmm. laborer. But then immaterial production is, I think, that their their claim to, like, innovation of their theory is that they claim that, like, in maybe, like, a post-situationist sense, that, like, the production, that immaterial production, production of, like, affect, production of images is now, like, the dominant form of production of capitalism in the early 21st century. I mean, it did not age very well, but that's what they were claiming at the time. The self-invention, oh, I'm sorry. If he himself, Obama, has no reality, this body is reality itself, or more precisely, the supersession of reality that defines contemporary life. The self-invention and accelerated communication allowed us by the nature of both work and compulsory leisure today gives rise to a subjectivity for which marginal campaign contributions formal and informal grassroots organizing and obsessive attention to pre-election poll results actually have the character of self-determined action. This need not be cause for pouting. The relationships and technical capacities of participants in the Obama phenomenon, which was larger than the Obama campaign, are as historically significant as the more visible end to which they were oriented and far less monolithic. Monolithic. If seen from one end, they are reflexes, reflexes of an imposed postmodern subjectivity. From the other end, they appear as concessions forced upon capital by the difficulties of keeping exploitation profitable. That's about right. You got to make people happy. It is thus incorrect to interpret Obama as a recuperating force, a leader diverting popular passions into institutional channels. As a politician, he is that, of course. But Obama the politician is an insignificant residue of Obama the image. The expansive and total character of the latter gives an unprecedented scope to what Negri calls constituent power, the power of subordinates in a hierarchical system to determine the system's rules. The street market for bootleg t-shirts picturing Obama as a latter-day Scarface is just one small example. Obama the image, the true Obama, is in some sense hostage to his own multitudinous body. It is only a matter of failed imagination that Obama the political institution has retained some hegemony within parts of that body. I wonder if this is sort of a forecasting Occupy in a sense, where there was an idea that Obama was supposed to be reflexive in some way to, to a populism that he wasn't. Yeah. And the result of that was this kind of widespread outrage that yeah. was the 99% versus the 1% that the, they saw him as protecting. Yeah. This attempt to like leverage the image of Obama or like his own 
I guess, guilt at his incapacity to be what people believed he would be, uh, to leverage that into some sort of street movement that could force him to do what he had promised. It was very much internal to progressivism, right? And so this transitions next to a section that is all in italics. It appears to be something somewhat narrative. When I first met Barack Obama, he wore a tailored black suit. The voices from the cocktail party were scarcely audible in the basement in which we had withdrawn. Large black pipes ran along the cinder block walls, and fluorescent lights gave his hair a bluish tinge. After a few preliminaries, he asked that I remove my clothes. Oh, boy. I obliged and stood before him in my underwear, shivering. Close your eyes, he said, and walk slowly behind me. Oh, this is getting sensual. I heard a heavy rustling, and then a click. He walked back around and ordered me to open my eyes. His appearance had not changed, with the single exception that now his hand was an ear of corn, which he held by the drawn-back husks each perfect kernel plump and gleaming in the artificial light. 